good morning. The first scripture reading this morning is going to be from Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is, to, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The second scripture reading is from Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Thanks, Lauren. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. Uh, if you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, I don't know how you're coming in uh, this morning. Maybe it's been a really good week and you're flying pretty high and you're encouraged. Or maybe it's been a really tough week. Uh, but I just want to say that however you're coming in uh, this morning, wherever your mind's at, wherever your heart's at this morning, I just want to say that you're welcome here that we're a family of disciples who are making disciples, we're following Jesus, and God tells us that the only hope we have in this world is that he loves us, that he created us, and that even more than that, he's spoken to us through his word. And so, however you're coming into this message today, if you're really excited and wanting to rejoice, if you're confused and you're looking for answers, if you're hurting and you need comfort, um, I, I'm, I believe that God wants to speak to you. I know that God wants to speak to you and that he will speak to you uh, through his word this morning. And so I'm excited to hear what God's going to say to me and what God's going to say to you as well. Um, I want you to think back. How many of you remember, I know all of us remember, the beginning of the COVID pandemic in early 2020? Who wouldn't remember that, right? <laughs> um, so... I remember at the beginning of the, the early stages of the, of the pandemic, the whole world was kind of watching anxiously 
as we got reports of the coronavirus spreading throughout the world. So at first, you know, it's, it's in China, and then I watching the news, okay, now it's in Southeast Asia, okay, now it's moved to Europe, okay, Italy's a big hotspot now, now it's in North America, oh my gosh, it's on the West Coast, okay, it's in North Carolina, and then, you know, boom, just when the, in a matter of a few weeks, it's not just a a China problem, it's not just a Wuhan China problem, it's a whole world problem, and everybody knows somebody who's affected by the pandemic in, in some way. And what we're looking at today, we're looking at Genesis 4 and 5, um, what we're looking at is that after Adam and Eve sinned, after Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sinned, the consequence of that sin was separation from God and death. And what we're seeing today, it's kind of like watching those news reports of the coronavirus gradually spreading until it's, until it's affecting everybody across the entire globe. What we see in Genesis 4 and 5 is that death, as a consequence of human rebellion against God, death is spreading throughout the entire world to infect all people and to, to affect us as well. Well, as we think about death, go ahead and go to the next slide there. As we think about death, yeah, give me my, uh, my Master Yoda quote. Um, as we think about death, there's a lot of different opinions about death. I wonder how you think about the concept of, of death. I, I think one of the more interesting quotes I've read, this is from, this is in the movie, The Revenge of the Sith. Uh, this is a quote by, by Master Yoda. I think I should try to do it in the Yoda voice. Anybody want to hear that? Okay, I'm going to give it. Death is a, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Death is a natural part of life. Re, re, rejoice. Yeah, too good maybe. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the force. Mourn them not. Miss them not. Attachment leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed it is. Well, do you see what he's saying here? What he's saying is actually a pretty common feeling towards death. This is a way that especially many Eastern, Hindu and Buddhists and other types of Eastern cultures, try to cope with the concept of death. They say, death isn't really a, it's not a bad thing, it's a natural part of life. And, you know, it's when you, you came from, you came out of the ground and then you're going back to the ground and it's the circle of life and hakuna matata and all that type of stuff, Right? And, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a way of looking at death that some people would have, which is that death is not a tragedy, death is not a, a problem, it's just a natural part of life, and you should learn to, to, to make peace with it. And so the question we're looking at today is, what does the Bible say about death and how we should respond to it? And the Bible presents a very different picture of death. The Bible presents a very different picture of death, and the Bible According to Jesus, death is not a friend. Death is not a natural part of life. Death is not the beautiful closing of the curtain on your life, like the end of a performance. In the Bible, death is a tragedy. And not only is death a tragedy, death is an enemy. And the Bible says in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, one of those passages that Lauren just read, that we're actually all enslaved by 
death. Okay, so today we're looking at two things. We're looking at, first of all, we're looking at the fact that we're enslaved to death. And the second thing we're going to look at is that we are freed from death by Jesus, our snake crusher. Okay, well, first of all, let's look at Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel. This is probably a story you've heard before, but I don't know if you've noticed kind of the bigger picture of, of what's happening here. Really, so we're enslaved by death, first of all. Um, the first type of death that we see in the Bible is death by violence. We see death by, death by violence. So the story of Cain and Abel, it's really a pretty common story. So you've got Cain and you've got Abel, and they go before God, and they're both offering a sacrifice to God, and it says that, that Abel, he brought the choice part, he brought the best part, the, the firstborn of his, of his flock to offer as a sacrifice to God. And, um, and, and, then, and then Cain, he, it says he just brought some vegetables. It doesn't say that they were the best or they were the first fruits or, or, or anything like that. And basically what, what happens is God accepts Abel's offering, but he doesn't accept Cain's offering. And Cain gets really jealous. And I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, imagine this story from the, pers- from the perspective of Adam and Eve. All right? So they've, they're in the garden, and it's a beautiful garden. Everything's really great. And, you know, great relationship with their husband, naked and unashamed. And then there's sin, and they realize they're naked. They start being afraid. They start covering up. And then God tells them what we talked about last week, which is that because you've sinned, one day you're going to die. And he, he kicks them out of the garden, but then he promises a what? A snake crusher. And he says, there will be a man that's born from the woman who's going to come and defeat Satan and defeat death and defeat sin and restore God's world. So imagine you're Eve in, in this story. And you, have, you get pregnant and you have, a, you have a baby. What are you probably thinking? You're thinking, well, here he is. It's the snake crusher. God said that there was going to be a, a man born of a woman who's going to defeat Satan. Here he is. His name's Cain, which is why everybody today names their children Cain. <laughs> right? Obviously, that's not what happened because Cain gets jealous of Abel and he kills him. And it says that the blood of Abel was crying out of the ground against the violence that had been done by his brother against them. And again, this is kind of, this is literally a, a story as old as time itself. This is one brother, one person being jealous of another person, and then through an act of violence, hurting them, and in this case, killing them. And so the consequence is Cain is, is driven even further from God's presence. He has to go east of Eden. You remember last year when we talked about the, you know, you start, you start here in the Garden of Eden, and then you, they, they go out the east gate, and then they go out, he goes out, out east of Eden again, and then when you have the tabernacle, then you're going back west, symbolizing you're going back into God's presence. Do y'all remember talking about that a year ago? So he's going further east, further away from God's presence in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, but God also gives him a protection. He says he puts his mark on him so that he, so people find him, they won't, they won't kill him. Now, that's usually when we read the story of Cain and Abel, that's usually where we stop. But look at what happens next in, verse, in verses 17 through, through 24. 
This is one of those like weird genealogies where it's like so-and-so had this kid and, and so-and-so had this kid and they did blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of, you know, this is why we don't like coming to church is because we have to read about boring stuff like this. But there's something embedded in here that I don't want you to miss. So Cain has, uh, Cain has, has children, his children have children, and then um, so, on, uh, so forth and so on. But then look at, look at, verse, look at verse 23. Okay, so, so Lamech is one of the descendants of Cain. Remember we said that this pandemic of death and sin is starting with Adam, ground zero, patient number one, and is just spreading throughout the entire world and affecting everybody. So Cain, he killed his brother in, in cold blood, and then he was ashamed of it. He, he hid, and God asked him what he did, and he, he, tried to, he tried to kind of deny it. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And he tried to change the subject. But look at what Lamech does. This is several generations after his ancestor Cain. And it says, Lamech had two wives. So this is the first known instance of, of polygamy. And in verse 23, it says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. So he's singing this song of several generations before. Adam was singing a song. Adam was singing a song about how beautiful his wife was and how thankful he was to God for giving him a wife. But what's Lamech going to sing about? He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, you think Cain... Was a, was a bad, you know what? <laughs> you think Cain was a tough guy? You think Cain was violent? Cain ain't nothing compared to me. If Cain, if Cain was, was seven parts violent, I'm 77 parts violent, right? I'm Cain 10.0. And so look what's happening. Not only is violence increasing, but no longer are they ashamed of it. They're even bragging about it. Right? So that's the first way that we see death in the world is death through violence. Well, how about today? I think it can be easy for us today to think that violence is not that much of a problem. After all, I mean, living in the Triangle, maybe you live in suburban Cary or Apex or, or, or Durham or Holly Springs or Morrisville, and you know, there's, there might not be a lot of violence that you see around you. But is that really the case? Have we gotten less violent as a species since the times of Cain and the times of Lamech? I don't think we have. You know that the 20th century, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the human race. That more people were killed through violence and cold blood in the 20th century than any other period of time throughout, throughout human history. And it feels like for the past several years, we haven't had maybe as much violence, at least not kind of a World War III type of a situation. And, and maybe we think, well, that's, we're, we're getting better. You know, we're, we're kind of figuring it out. But the, the reason that we're not having World War III is not because we can get along with each other better today than we could 100 years ago, it's because of a thing called mutually assured destruction. 
You know what I'm talking about? It's basically that it's not that we, we're friends or we care about people or we love people better than we used to. It's that there's a lot of people around this world that all they have to do is push a button. Everybody in the human race dies instantly. Mutually assured destruction. So have we really made progress since the time of Cain, the time of Lamech? That's like, I mean, that's, Lamech is nothing compared to what we can do today to what a modern army can do, the violence it can inflict today. So that's the first type of death that we see, is death through violence. But the second type of death we see in Genesis chapter 5 is death through old age. Now, remember what God said to Adam and Eve. He told them in the garden, he said, You can eat from any of the trees in this garden, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, what's going to happen? You're going to die. And then the snake, Satan, comes along, and he's sneaky. He doesn't just say, oh, forget God, God's terrible, you know, just, you should come with me instead. He says, he's subtle, and he lies to him, and he says, God said you're going to die. You're not going to really die. Eating from this tree is going to give you life the way you really need it to be lived. You're not going to die. Well, Adam and Eve have another son. And you can only imagine that when Eve gives birth to their third son, Seth, she's thinking the same thing that she thought when she gave birth to Cain. Well, we really got our hopes up with Cain and Abel. Oh, man. But here he is. Here's the snake crusher. It's Seth. Can you imagine the type of helicopter parenting that would have been going on when he's like, the snake crusher, and then the first time he ever picks up a rock, you're like, no, stop it. Right? But they're thinking, okay, here he is, the snake crusher. We've learned our lesson, God. We're sorry. Seth. But look at what happens. Verse 6. Seth had lived 105 years. He fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Okay? Not the snake crusher. Well, when Enosh had lived for, for 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan for 815 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Okay, let's try again. Well, then, when Mahalalel had lived for 65 years, he fathered Jared, and Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared for 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And so the problem is, when we read this, we think, oh my goodness, how could they live so long? 900 years. That's not what this is trying to tell us. This is like walking through a graveyard when you expected to show up to a birthday party. Can you imagine every single generation thinking, well, maybe this is the snake crusher. Maybe this is the one who's going to defeat death and restore God's world. 
and he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. And that continues all the way until today. Well, there's one thing. We see death through violence. We see death through old age. But there's one thing. This is a really, honestly, depressing passage. Like I said, it's like walking through a graveyard when you expected to show up to a birthday party. But there's one, there's one encouraging glimmer of hope that we see in here that's in, that's in um, verse, chapter 4, verse 25. This is about Seth. Remember, Seth was not the snake crusher, but look at what it says. It says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him Seth, for she said, God has appointed to me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So Seth also had a son, and he called him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Calling upon the name of the Lord is what they would often call worship. But it's basically the idea, if you're drowning if you're drowning in the middle of the ocean and you see somebody on a boat passing by or you see a lifeguard, it, you, you would call out with a loud voice. You'd say, help. Calling upon the name of the Lord is basically looking around and realizing we're drowning in sin and death. Everybody's dying. It's spreading everywhere. And calling upon the name of the Lord is like looking up to God and saying, God, Help. Where's that person that you promised us? Where's that snake crusher? Please let him come soon. Okay? So the question is, how are we supposed to respond to this? How are you and I supposed to respond to this? Remember last week we said that because there's pain and suffering in the world, because of human sin, we better learn how to grieve. And if you don't learn how to grieve, life is going to be really terrible. It's going to be even more terrible because you're going to have all this unprocessed pain. You're not going to know what to do with it. It's just going to build up and then come out through impatience or through anger or through depression or, or, or through whatever. You better learn how to grieve the pain that you experience in this life. But not only do we grieve, we also hope because God promises that one day, there's going to be a man who's going to come who is not Cain, who is not Abel, who is not Seth, who is not Enosh, who is not Lamech, who's going to crush the head of the snake and is going to defeat God's enemy and restore his good world. So what do we do? We grieve when we experience death in our life, but we also hope by calling upon the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the snake crusher. Well, not only are we slaves to death, that second passage that Lauren read in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says that we, that Jesus has set us free. Those of us, it says that he took on bodily flesh, he took on human form, he became a human, that Jesus Christ, the snake crusher, became human. 
And he lived a perfect life in our place. He died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose from the dead again. And one day he's going to come back and restore God's good world forever. And it's because of that that we can be, that those of us who are currently enslaved by the fear of death and by the presence of death in our lives, that we can be set free. That by, if we call upon the name of Jesus, if we trust in him, if we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins and we can have eternal life with him forever. So let's think about this for a minute. We're enslaved by death, but we're freed by the snake crusher. Think about yourself. How are you experiencing slavery to death in your life right now? How are you experiencing death in your life right now? You know, it, it can be easy to think that we're experiencing death when we lose a loved one, but really death is so much more pervasive. Let me give you three examples. I know there's some of you this morning, and if you haven't experienced this already, maybe you will one day. I know there's, there's some, some of you here this morning who your body is betraying you. Your body's betraying you. What do I mean by that? That your body, which was designed by God to be healthy, to be fit, to experience pleasure, to, to serve God, that your body this good body that God gave you as a, as a tool to use to serve him with, it's creating tumors. Right? How crazy is that? That this, this is, my, my body, it starts growing something that's trying to kill me. And I haven't personally had that experience, but I know many of you had. For some of us, You've experienced chronic health issues. You've experienced an injury that's affected the way you walk or affected the way you move. Some of you have experienced a, an illness or a stroke or some type of chronic pain, crippling, crippling pain that affects what you can do and what you can't do. You've experienced... You've experienced surgery. You, you experience your body breaking down. This body that's supposed to be, you're able to be able to use it. But then it's breaking down. Your body's betraying you. And what we see with that is it's the consequence of, because God's the source of life, it's just like a computer. If you take it out of the wall, if you unplug the cord, it's not going to happen right away, but eventually it's going to start to lose power and ultimately die. And that's what we experience because of death. We experience our bodies betraying us through panic attacks, through infertility, 
through sickness and through disease and through handicaps and things like that. And that can feel like we're enslaved. But this verse says that Jesus, the snake crusher, has come, and if we put our trust in him, he sets us free from death. What does that look like? Well, I, I know that one thing that can happen when you are constantly experiencing your body just not working the way it should, your body betraying you, so to speak, that can just lead to a big source of shame. And we, if you think about it super, super duper logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but, but the way we can feel sometimes is that I have this thing that's wrong with me. I can't do this other thing that other people can do or that I would like to do or that I maybe used to be able to do. There's this thing that's wrong with me. And sometimes we can feel embarrassed about that. I think sometimes it's because we don't want to be a burden to people. We're afraid people might kind of look at us a funny way. You know, so-and-so can go out and do all those things, but, you know, maybe, maybe you can't. Maybe you're limited by some, something you're experiencing in your body. And it can also be tempting to be ashamed because when we're experiencing our bodies breaking down and betraying us, it's so easy, and again, if you think about this super logically, we know it's not true, but we can feel in our heart like, why is God letting this happen to me? It must be something I've done. It must be my fault somehow. And so we, just, we, we can easily feel ashamed of weaknesses or handicaps or things that are going wrong with our, with our, our brains or with our bodies or with other parts of our lives both because we're afraid other people are going to see us and think we're weak or because somewhere in the back of our mind we're thinking, well, God must be punishing this person. And so what can happen so often, I, I remember talking to a friend who at their church, this is not somebody in this church, but they had a friend at their church who, who got really sick and their friend didn't want to come to church. And it wasn't that they didn't feel good enough to come to church, it was that they weren't there typical kind of vital chipper self. And they said, I don't want people to see me like that. They were ashamed. They were ashamed. They wanted to present this, you know, vibrant, healthy thing, but their body had, had betrayed them. Because of Jesus, we who believe in Jesus, God promises us that one day, when he returns, he's going to give you a new body. And it's not going to be a body that has diabetes. It's not going to be a body that gets cancerous moles. It's not going to be a body that has to be in a wheelchair. It's not going to be a body that has to have hips and knees and shoulders replaced. It's not going to be a body that has OCD or chronic anxiety and depression. It's going to be a new body that does not get sick and that, does never, and that never betrays you. And what that means is that we can be free of the shame that can come along with our bodies betraying us. There's this really cool story 
I don't know how many of you know um, the story of, of a, a Christmas Carol by, by Charles Dickens. How many of you, of you have, have read that or heard that story before? There's this really cool story where uh, Tiny Tim, do you guys know Tiny Tim? So Tiny Tim, he's Bob Cratchit's the main character. He's his, his son, and he's crippled. And everywhere he goes, you know, he's walking with a severe limp and has a cane. And there's this, there's this scene where Bob Cratchit, this very poor man who has a son that has a crippled leg, he's, he's talking to his wife and he says, yeah, when we were at church today, Tiny Tim told me, he said, I hope people look at me. He said, was he ashamed to be there? No, he, he wasn't ashamed to be there. He said, I hope people see me. I hope people see me so they can be reminded of the one who made lame men walk and blind men see. And so because of Jesus, you're set free from the shame of feeling like you're just this constant testament to your own weakness or your own sin or something like that. Instead, you can, you can go out into the world knowing that whatever weaknesses you have in your body, however your body's breaking down, and all of our bodies are breaking down in one way or another, you're not a testament to your weakness or your sin. You're a testimony to everybody around you. Look at what God's going to free me from one day. Look at what God's going to heal me from one day. I know there's others of you who... Maybe you just feel like life is pointless. That's another one of the consequences of death. And to be honest, I, I think that we, the way we talk about this in secular culture today is really, is really dangerous. The com- some of the conversations going on about this idea of how do you find meaning in life? How do you find hope in life? How do you find purpose in life? I, I think they can be very dangerous because here's the thing. Some of you right now, how, do, how are you enslaved to death? Some of you are, are depressed. Some of you are feeling hopeless. Some of you just feel like you get up in the morning and what's, what's life about? What, why do I want go to go to school? Why do I want to go to work? Why should I do any of this stuff? And you just feel depressed. Um, the, one of the reasons that is, okay, I'm fully on board with Lauren Bowman, Jesus, and therapy, <laughs> right? That, that, that I totally believe in the value of counseling. I totally believe in the value of, of, of medication to help with depression and anxiety. But I don't think it's a coincidence that depression rates have skyrocketed at the same time when people's belief in God and in eternal life have been going down and down and down and down and down. And the reason is, if you're honest with yourself, one of the reasons we can feel life is pointless is because you know that whatever you do in your life, however well you live, however much you accomplish, whatever good things or bad things that you do, your life is going to end up just like Enosh's life and just like Seth's life. And just like Kenan's life, you know, it's just going to turn into a tombstone that says, you know, so-and-so lived for, for 80, 90 years and, and then had several children and then, and then she died. 
And there's just something in us that says, if all of this is just going to be wiped away, and, and then, you know, one, one day, like, for goodness sake, like, the sun's going to blow up, and then everything is going to be wiped away, like, what, what's the point? And I think we do a huge disservice to each other when basically in secular counseling, without, without God, without knowing that you were made for a purpose and you can be redeemed and given eternal life, basically the message is kind of like, you know, life doesn't really have a meaning. It doesn't really have a meaning. Like, we're all going to die and, you know, it's not going to make an eternal difference, really. But you kind of can pretend like it does. And if you pretend like life has a meaning, you pretend like it really matters how you raise your kids and it really matters how good of a job you do at being an accountant or whatever it is that you're doing. If you just kind of pretend like it matters the art that you're creating and stuff like that, if you pretend like it means something, then you're going to feel better. And that's kind of the message that we tell each other, that we should just try to pretend like life has a meaning, then you'll feel like life has a meaning, and then you'll be happier until you die. And that's kind of like, if there's a plane that's crashing, and the plane's going straight to the ground, and somebody stands up and says, hey guys, the plane's crashing, I can't do anything about that, but let's just try to have a good attitude until the plane crashes. <laughs> and that's where Jesus is the one that stands up and says, in him, with the snake crusher, death is not an end, it's a beginning. Death is an end, it's a beginning. That you, what you do in your school, in your life, in your relationships, in your family, in your work, in every part of your life can have meaning and can have purpose that really does have eternal value if you put your faith in Jesus. And so instead of just trying to, well, how much pleasure can I experience? How many toys can I buy? You know, how much good food can I eat? How much good entertainment can I consume? Or just kind of sitting around feeling depressed. We can realize that by loving Jesus, by loving others, by serving the poor, by, by studying God's word, by being faithful at our jobs, by being salt and light in the community around us, you can do things that, have, that literally have eternal value. So, we're all enslaved by death, but we're freed by the snake crusher. But Satan isn't going to give up. And in a similar way that he whispered to Eve, when God said, hey, if you eat from the fruit of this tree, you're going to die. He said, hey, you're, you're not going to die. That's, that's probably just something God said to scare you. In the same way, today, Satan wants to whisper to you and to us that there's no such thing as eternal life. What, what a silly, you're going to live forever? What, does somebody like sprinkle pixie fairy dust on you and now you're going to... That's just, that just seems like something somebody, some counselor made that up to try to make you feel like there's meaning in your life and blah, 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 but it's probably not true. I want to read you a story, um, and this is how I'll close. 
This is a story by, by a guy named Henry Nouwen, who's a Dutch theologian and, and priest. He, he was, he's since passed away. But it's called The Parable of the Twins. I want you to listen to this story. It says, in a, mother, in a mother's womb, there were two babies. One asked to the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replies, why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, the other said. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The first one says, oh, I don't know, but there would be more light than there is here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. But the second one said, that's absurd. Walking is impossible. And eat with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies all of our nutrition. Life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The umbilical cord is too short for us to walk around. But the first one said, you know, I think there, I think there is something, and maybe it's going to be different than it is here. The other one replies, well, no one has ever come back from there. Delivery is, delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there's nothing but darkness and anxiety, and it takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the first. But certainly, in the after delivery, we will see mother, and she will take care of us. Mother? You mean to tell me you believe in a mother? If there was really a mother, where is she now? Why can't we see her? Well, maybe she's all around us, the first one replied. Maybe it's in her that we live and move and have our being. Without her, there would not be this world that we live in right now. Well, I don't see her, said the first one. So it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the other replied, you know, sometimes when you're silent, you can hear her. You can sense her. I believe that there is life after delivery and that we're here to prepare ourselves for that reality. As long as we live on this earth, experience death and pain. But that doesn't have to lead depression, cynicism, to just trying to accumulate a lot of stuff for ourselves. Jesus has come to give us eternal life that we can only have in him so that our life can have meaning, our life can have purpose, and that ultimately he's the one that looks at our greatest enemy, death, and he does, and he stomps it out because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you. You're the hero. You're the snake crusher. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who feel their bodies betraying them.
who feel their bodies breaking down? God, would you fill them with hope and expectation for the renewed body, the new body that you're going to give them one day? And Jesus, I pray that would be soon. God, for my friends here that maybe are feeling like life is pointless, that maybe feel depressed, that feel they can't find a meaning or a purpose in life, God, would you, would you give us that glimmer of hope? Would you help it to be fanned into a flame? Help us to put our hope fully in eternity. God, give us that faith. I know so many of us, want, we want to believe, but we have so much doubt, we have so much unbelief. Please help our unbelief. Help us to trust in you that you, give, that you will give us eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.